G'day, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Military Mindset for Business podcast, where I'm having a really interesting chat today talking to two veteran entrepreneurs, Avon Collis and Chandan Rana. Lads, how are we today? Good. Thank you. Welcome. <laughs> thank you for having me. Sorry. I'm used to doing um, the podcast. So. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Hey, so what's what's great about learning about the Relevate Group, and we'll unpack what Relevate Group is and what it does shortly, is uh, these two lads for me are very, very similar to both Matt Mosley and myself and the Trust the Process journey, where they really believe about systemizing, automating, delegating, and they've almost created a mirror agency to Trust the Process, believing the same things, uh, supporting clients, but just in totally different ways. So um, I'll start off with Avon first. Mate, how are you going today? Fantastic. Thanks for having us here. Now, brilliant, mate. And whereabouts in the world are you just for everybody? Uh, so I'm sitting in our Brisbane office at the moment. Perfect. And Shandon Rana, where are you, mate? Um, so I'm based out of Sydney, so yeah, not too far away. So what I love doing um, in these podcasts is to first of all talk about their journey into the military. Now, again, I don't know why it's, we just sit, keep hitting uh, army jerks on this program. We need some more raffies and some more uh, you know navy people, but let's stick to the green. Um, hey, Rana, can you tell us about your journey into the military and how did you even you know get into green in the first place? Um, I guess it was. Um inevitable for me because my whole family background was all military um so growing up that was the only thing that i wanted to do um so as soon as i finished high school first thing i did was go do my u session and then join the army and yeah happened to land in uh, world of tanks so um landed up in um after a bit of training in pakapano landed up in first armored in down so tell us about what's it, what's it like as a tank you mate driving these brutish things around and you know, ex- you know, destroying things in the battle space, you know, with great energy and fever. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's quite exciting, really, um, when, you're, when you're inside one of those things, regardless of what role you're filling in within the tank, um, just being in that sort of, you know, dominating that, that ground warfare, because um, there's nothing bigger, better uh, or better out there than, than what you're in. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting when you're, when you're, you know, providing... Uh, attack by fire or support by fire or whatever um and you know you you clear a whole grid square and then the infantry get there and there's literally nothing left off the ground so not sure what they're clearing through yeah well man like uh, you know for me tank tanks is like the fighter jets of the air force tanks are like the cool stuff for the army and and in the very few times that i've actually had the pleasure of seeing tanks on you know live battle runs you know uh literally you know firing their weapon systems at 60 kilometers an hour it is super super cool stuff let alone being in them man so uh mate pretty cool job yeah 100 um and mate so we just talked about you know what the tanks do to make the life of the infantry done nice little segue over to you avon Yeah, so uh, I guess, uh, well, to, to start off the same question, line of questioning, uh, I joined the Army. I, I was scheduled to join at 16, nine months and one week, uh, but then broke my leg five days before. And then, uh, so my entry got delayed by about 12 weeks. And then, uh, so anyway, I, I went in and then I went to, got posted to, to Darwin um, in uh, infantry. And then towards the last year and a half, I transferred to intelligence I got posted to first armoured where I met Rana. Um, but yeah, I'd say the uh, the infantry strength is going where tanks can't go, uh, through jungles, 
uh, up the sides of mountains, uh, through urban to, a lot of urban terrain for, uh, areas, and uh, and just providing support. I mean, combined arms requires both of them. Um, and then you know, from the from the intel side, I guess uh, you know, directing where they should go and shouldn't go, and where the uh, anti-tank uh, <laughs> uh, equipment is, and and how to avoid that. So uh, we're all better together. <laughs> And I love that you talked about combined arms then because I love the transference of that combined arms theory into business. So you've got the tanks, which are super cool at doing one, I guess one specific thing. I'm, I'm probably showing my naivety here. And then we've got the infantry, which are super good at doing a specific thing. But when you combine those effects together on the battle space, what they can achieve as a combination um, can be you know, hopefully the decisive edge to win the battle. So it's cool. What I always love to think about then is, you know, in businesses, how do we, you know, use those different elements of our own business, whether it be like sales, marketing, operations in that, in that combined arms thinking to be able to do the same kind of thing. Um, so lads, how long did you spend in the military each? Uh, I was in for seven years. Um, and then I did a little bit of stint in uh, COVID assists through reserves. Uh, business went quiet. So I went over there and and did that, but otherwise, uh, I've been relatively out ever since. And Rana, you've had a you've had an interesting connection back into the military, not in your core role as a tanky, but um, tell us about what you've done in the tech space, supporting the army in in the, in the recent years. Yeah, so after I did I did about six years full time, and then once I got out, I wanted to go back to uni and finish off my bachelor's. So. Uh, whilst I was doing that, I had the opportunity to um, work on a few different projects within the army. So as a as a second fire member, so reservists, um, with uh, organisations like ADFSSO, which is like the selection wing at at uh, SOCOM, um, as well as DSOTAC, which is like the CATC equivalent in the the SOTAC world. So just helping out on their their SharePoint, their um, you know uh, business structure and and and. Uh, filing structure as well within objective and all that stuff so um just just working on those few little things um and as well as um you know still doing my core i guess role because there is a uh, reservist um armored corps regiment based out of sydney so first 15 lancers um so just yeah basically doing that whilst uh, supporting myself through uni one of the things um i was talking to someone in in the in the government quite recently was about the ability that the reserves allow you to almost have your cake and eat it too. So has being a member of the active reserves enabled you to flexibility to, to grow your business? Was it helpful, Avon? You mentioned before about business goes quiet and being able to step back in and you know, access that cash. Well, yeah, I mean, when COVID happened, like no one made any decisions, like right at the first of like uh, 2019 when when. I think it was like the first two months of 2020, no one did anything and everybody was um, just holding back just to see what was going to happen. So rather than sort of sit around and watch my business collapse, I decided to go in and, and uh, do some reserve work and getting you know, a couple hundred bucks a day, which is, you know, not, I could probably achieve more in, in uh, consulting or, or something like that, but at least to, to stop the, the bleeding of, uh, of cash 
I was able to get some some revenue in the door and, and um, you know, build a few relationships. And yeah, there was a little bit of a, I think, you know, if we're talking about blending military with business, there's a little bit of a uh, marketing effect that occurred. Like I took a photo, I put it on LinkedIn and went, I'm helping out, you know, we're, 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 we're stalling here, but we're still contributing to society, uh, things like that. And I think that the Australian uh, mindset is, is, and it's changing a little bit, but somewhat very sort of okay and, and sort of accepting of veterans and, and the military. And so having some connection um, helps to, I guess, help a different audience kind of appreciate you in a different way, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And this is where I think for any, you know, person who's still serving in the military, uh, you know, if you want to go down small business enterprise entrepreneurship as your next career path, keeping your reserve status open is a way that you can preserve some of that cash flow, set your business up. You've got the safety net of leaning back into the defense force if you need it, uh, whilst you're out there, you know, really working on, on getting your own things set up. So I was very lucky to be able to use some of the existing policies around part-time leave without pay and, you know, uh, flexible work arrangements to start my own business. Uh, unfortunately, I was a med discharge, so I'm you know, not allowed to go back to reservists, but I absolutely encourage anyone who's stick around and see if you can keep in the reserves because again, as you mature in business and you, and you become you know, more successful, it's that great connection back to service again, like you're mentioning Avon. So I, I really recommend it to anyone. And I actually miss the fact that I can't, put on the uniform and go out and lead soldiers and that, um, you know, because of my circumstances. So, hey, Rana, tell us about, um, Avon mentioned that you met both up there in Darwin. Tell us about how you guys met uh, in your army career and how that relationship led to, you know, eventually going into business together. Yeah, it was quite, I guess, interesting because I was, when when we actually met, um, it was out on, uh, I think it was Shellwood Bay on one of the TS or Hamels, uh, whatever it was called that year. Um, and I was posted to the RSQ within one armament and that's where Avon was posted as the intelligence analyst as well. Um, so I think we were um, out in the bush, we were um, just stopped um, and, and we were setting up uh, a hide. And basically I think uh, from what I recall, our first meeting or like uh, I, I would say like we probably said hello to each other on, on base or whatever else not but never really got in uh, got into a conversation um but it was really from what i recall was the first time we actually had a conversation was when we were digging a jenny pit um yeah. at a show water bay um and that's when i really got to you know learn about who Avon was and what he did I, before that i didn't even know he was the intelligence analyst i just thought it was just another guy in, you know, but that was posted to to RSQ, and then yeah, he, we he went through his background, and I think uh, at that stage he was um, looking at transitioning out. So I was more than you know curious of like you know what his plans were outside the army and all that stuff, and and how he was planning his transitions and all that stuff. So yeah, got to got to learn heaps from that as well. Well, I, I mean, just to add to that point, like at that my business that that it that it was when we joined and what it is now um, was not even on the radar for, for either of us. And, and, you know, he, he did, he hadn't started, um, you know, the hosting business. And so it wasn't until, you know, like, and we're talking like, cause it's a foggy memories. Cause it's like 10 years ago. 
And then it was probably like five years ago now that, you know, because I'm interested in CRM, I saw it up on Facebook and it said, uh, you know, such and such a CRM. So I'm like, all right, I might, I'll trial everything, right? So I jump in, I get online. I'm like, we jump in like a Zoom meeting or something. I'm like, you sound familiar. You sound really familiar. Where are you from? And then we kind of like traced it back. And then we're like, ah, oh, great. So then we kept talking, kept talking. Next thing you know, we've got a business together. Um, then four years later, uh, and I think through COVID, like this is like we started it. Uh, oh, sorry, we joined forces just around about just prior to COVID. And, you know, that's when it kind of went quiet for both of us. And then um, then during that time, we tried to get to, to catch up face to face again. And so we'd gone about uh, just over a year running a business with, you know, hundreds of clients and thousands and thousands of dollars of transactions, having not met face to face since back in 2014 or 2013 and so we'd um you know we had that trust by proxy if you will you know and, and every time we tried to catch up there were lockdowns he snapped his ankle um had a baby and uh and then finally i just jumped on a plane we went down there <laughs> and then it was a bit of a even that was a bit of a hurried exercise you know i had some other stuff personal stuff going on so um it was it's it's been in a pretty intense time and and since then it's been no breaks off so we've um, late last year, we acquired an IT company. Then we've set up an office in India. And now we are, you know, sort of leveling out on that. And uh, now we've rolled out a new business arm, which is Relevate People, which is a um, virtual staffing because we've got that office. And, uh, and, and now it's just like we've got another kind of growth period. We've kind of got to stabilize. But, you know, like it's, it's, never, it's never a dull moment. It's always yeah. fun. There's always something happening. Well, let's go back and get a bit of context about around these businesses. So, because uh, you both started with separate businesses and then had this point where, you know, the synergies were there where where you should merge. Um, tell us about the businesses, what Relevate Group is, and uh, just uh, give some context to you know what you guys actually do. Earlier, you were talking about combined arms, and one of the things that we identified pretty early on. So he had a web hosting. Um, and, you know, did some like licenses and like software licenses and things like that, uh, and a little bit of web development. And that was mostly um, his uh, area. Mine was uh, CRM and marketing automation. So I was, you know, bu building out things like I started early on in, in Infusionsoft and, you know, I'd get to, like a, a small business owner. Uh, we'd build like a, an email campaign and, you know, we try to establish or upload your customers and, and then try to gain more, go through the sales process and all that sort of stuff. And I thought, well, a great add-on is something like hosting because, you know, you need, I need to deal with the website anyway. I need to put forms on there. I need to bring them through into, um, into my space. And then, uh, and then all throughout that transition period, there's, you know, updates, there's maintenance, there's other licenses, there's other things that you can sell. And so we kind of like started sharing customer lists and then we went, yeah, this is just too good not to, not to join. And plus, you know, from a, if we talk, you know, trust and, and that sort of stuff and, and you already had that back knowledge, you kind of get that trust by proxy through being in the military and you know that, um, you know, there's an honor code, you kind of, you, you know yourself, whenever you talk to another veteran, it's like, as soon as you find out, it's like you're at a whole advanced level of that conversation that you don't need. There's a whole bunch of stuff you just, it's like you've already talked about, even though you've never discussed it. And yeah, super yeah, powerful yeah. stuff. Yeah. Super powerful stuff. And like um, what it's it's so 
like almost bizarre that the relationship that, you know, that is Avon and Rana is so mirrored to me and Matt, you know, mm. like we, we're, we're Dundrum classmates. We shared careers together, but the second that we decided to go into business together, it was just harmonious. And you mentioned that term trust by proxy a couple of times. One of the things that, you know, why I love to work with particularly veteran business owners as a veteran business owner is number one is you just know that they're going to do a great job for you because of the integrity and the character of that person. Um, So this is where, you know, ultimately, so Rana and I got introduced through when the veteran community business chamber first kicked off. And um, Rana, I know that you somehow we connected and you were the driving force behind the design, the first phase of the digital ecosystem of um, VCBC, the veteran community business chamber. And, the one thing that I can sort of say about your work is that every single person that comes to that website says, I love the design. I love the look. So absolutely nailed it there in terms of from a brand perspective. No, thank you. Thank you. It was just basically when, you know, you guys, I think we started with a Facebook group, right? Yeah. Um, once I discovered the Facebook group, I was like, great. Like this is a great, like really good initiative and of having, you know, like like-minded people and uh, people that you can you can trust, and it's not about always selling to each other and, and all that stuff. It's not a it's not a uh, you know like a sales group and, and advertising group. It's more or less support group where you can support each other's businesses. Uh, you can give each other advice. You can jump on a call with each other and still have that sort of connection uh, with each other. So hence why you know when when we got chatting and you mentioned something about the the directory listing and the website and everything that was, you know, really loved it. And that's when, you know, yeah, we, we've got all that stuff off the ground. Yeah. And look, let's, let's unpack these businesses now. Um, because again, I have to say that, yeah, there we go. Yeah, um, <laughs> certified, certified veteran business. That's it. Um, that's it. What I, okay. Trust the process and the Relevate group are mirrors of each other. So you, you're talking before Avon how you love CRM and you love that digital the digital uh, transformation that can come from just you know systemizing your business through you know, tech platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, we love HubSpot, we love Active Campaign, um, but you do exactly the opposite that we don't have. You, tell us about the tech suites or the tech stacks that you love uh, to look after in the Relevate Group. Um, I guess you know I try to think of it like if you if you think about uh, an accountant and, and all the studies that they do is all around accounting. You know whether or not it's mild or whether it's uh, zero or, or something else. You know that's the method that delivers the service, and it but it's not the actual service. There's still something that sits behind, like a theory. Um, yeah. You know, you guys have a very much a product focus, you know, which it does definitely have its advantages because you're much deeper in the product, you understand more about what it does, etc. I think we take a little bit more of like a management consulting perspective, and it's not always about X platform. Some things come, you know, before platform, some things become after platform, some things are you know, uh, a training thing that got nothing to do with the actual platform or a discipline thing or, or something like that. And so what we try to do is sort of show, uh, measure a business and go, this is what you are. This is how you can run more effectively. And these are some of the tools that you might need to get there. Because sometimes, you know, some businesses might want to be up at, at this level, uh, but they can only afford, they're on a beer budget. So we need to create a, a digital transition plan to get them to that size. And that might include things like, uh, and I think, we deal with a different class of business, you know, I guess 
we've had like more complex services that don't fit the mold that do something very different uh, but ones that you know you can kind of processize and, and and structure and and do again and again then that's something that you can put you know you can start to develop more of a scalable process around and I think you know um, maybe to our detriment we've we do a little bit of bespoke stuff but at that same token you know I, I think it's a, a relatively Mm, I was going to say low stress, but it's just probably just we we have deep relationships with our clients. We don't have as many, perhaps, um, but then you know we can kind of anticipate their needs and and we can start to you know I, identify new areas coming up in the future. So uh, look, there's merits, there's pros and cons to each side of the fence, but um, I, I think you know for for the for the people that are HubSpot, you know we send them straight to you. We've got no um hubspot experience um so what we prefer to do is if, if that's a great fit for them here you go or if they're already in there in fact i've got one i've got to send you uh after this but um yeah look i i think uh there's a huge market out there and the kinds of businesses that we are yes we're similar but we're also different at the same time absolutely and uh, i don't ever see us sort of really competing i, I see us more as you know assisting each other all the way through. And it's really, it's it's an important point there because collaborating versus competition is almost a sense of your own worthiness and value about how you look at yourself. Like this, this digital, um, you know, platform that we both work in, the digital space we both work in, mm. it's just starting in terms of where it's going to go into businesses, not only in Australia, but around the world. And, and coming back to one of your points there that uh, when we're talking about the platforms as such, the platforms are just tools. Um, now, we always want to put the process in front of the platform because you pick up a hammer, depending which which end of the hammer you pick up, you're going to have a very, very different outcome. And it's the same thing with CRM. You know, you can put any CRM into your business, but the way that the process and the structure and the way that you're going to use that tool is going to really drive it. Now, I always look at CRM, I compare it to being like, like cars. If you've never had a car before, your first car is probably going to be a massive leap forward. But for me, my first car was a Mitsubishi Sigma, you know, like it wasn't the best car. But so we've got to look for the zero to one step. And going back to your point about budget, getting the right tool for the right price is a different conversation if this is your first CRM versus if you're doing five, $10 million in revenue, you're looking for, you know, optimization in your performance or potentially looking at a CRM migration. How do you guys um, in your business unpack that solution about price to platform and process? Uh, I think we try to disconnect price, um, like cost, because everybody's like, they just look at the price and we go, we're yeah. not comparing apples and apples. We're comparing totally different things. So what we try to do is first understand where they want to end up. Um, what end up with our find out where they are currently, and and this sounds so cliche as a as a consulting uh, perspective, but in that what we then go is uh, I have a spreadsheet and uh, it's a comparison guide or a comparison matrix, and the first thing we do is let's forget platforms, let's yep. start talking about what are the critical requirements in a company, and so we we list out you know, from top to must have to nice to have is, all right, must have the ability to um, secure the data based on legislation that you have to conform to. 
um, you must have the ability for anyone in your organization to be able to sell. Okay, so now we have to make it user-friendly. Um, and then we go through those and we really try and spend a lot of time detailing that out. And then we start to go, all right, now let's look at software platforms. And then we go from a, a wide range, try to narrow them down, and then we will traffic light and go feature by feature, line by line, and compare platforms one, two, and three, identify the gaps because we might have you know, a particular platform that suits them. Um, and, you know, we also look at things like the strategic direction of the software company, the the ownership and whether they are looking at, um, you know, soaking up their uh, revenue share or whether they're looking at actually continually developing and improving the, the product. Um, and then there's a whole bunch of other things too, like price and, you know, technical capability of the user base, because if you've got, uh, we've got one client, the quarry, um, and the first thing they said to us is our people are not smart. And I, I sort of said, well, you know, that, don't, don't be hard on them. Um, <laughs> but that was a huge, huge, huge requirement in the ability for the team to be able to use the product is that the end users were, uh, not advanced users. The interface is so important too. And this is like, you know, do we need to get you going back to the car analogy? Do we need to get you into a Camry, a Mercedes or a Ferrari right now? You know, mm. in terms of where's your price point? Yes, we're all going to get you there, but each one of them is going to be, you know, very specifically, you know, different in terms of how you're going to get there. Now, mm. I always look at CRM on four levels. So number one, you got to have the one source of truth, you know, resilience and redundancy. It just means that one vessel captures Every, all the information that belongs to the company. Level number two, let's create a sales process that can't leak and has no blockages through our deal pipelines and our stages. Level three, after that, we need marketing automation to support conversion. So once we create the sales process that can't leak, how do we then empower the customer to make that choice by sending the right message at the right time through our automation? And level four at the top is data to help drive decisions. For me, a CRM, and, and notice I haven't talked about any platform in this stuff. These four levels are agnostic. Uh, at the top level, your CRM should answer one clear question. Is what I'm doing working so I can do more of it? Or alternatively, tell me it's not working so I can adjust and take a different path. Um, so we, we, we're like so on par with this in terms of, you know, loving the platform to really drive it. Um, let's talk about people now. Um Again, both of us are in this uh, outsourced human space. We've got a large team in the Philippines. You've, you're building a big team in India. Tell us about why you chose to go down this path with Relevate People. I think um, the original idea um, came from the just after the COVID phase of, um, you know, really struggling to find the right skilled uh, personnel within uh, the Australian borders. Uh, mm. Just purely from, you know, like a, a, a migration um, point of view that obviously the borders were closed for uh, X amount of period. Uh, that stopped uh, all the skilled migration and everything uh, to come from to Australia. And the, the people and the resources that were available onshore were um, thinning out because obviously uh, there was a great boom after COVID, but there was no great boom of skilled migration after COVID. So there was there was lots of jobs, lots of different um, opportunities available, but not many people to fill it. So hence why we kept running into this HR issue um, and decided to do it for ourselves originally. 
And then once we did it for ourselves and really understood the space and I really understood the the dynamics and the uh, economy of of um, of India in, in this example, um, and we thought that why not make it into from an inwards facing um, I guess asset uh, to an outward facing um, product. Yeah, if, if man, it's 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 so important. Like the three of us uh, are passionate Australians. We've all, you know, at you know, signed up on the piece of paper to, you know, to do the job wherever it was required at the time. And so for me, being a passionate Australian, I'm passionate about strong Australian businesses. So strong Australian businesses provide a great economy, they provide jobs for Australian. But outsourcing for me is a very simple tool that we use to empower Australian businesses because what we're really looking for is the right person to do the right job and the right price. So for me, a lot of your administrative or technical requirements, if we can you know, outsource those, or actually let me change that term outsource to offshore because it's all about you know, one team in many places. We can really drive some you know, real profit levers to grow our businesses and ultimately hire many more Australians because we've got a strong, resilient, profitable business. Um, tell us about the kind of things that you in Relevate people look to outsource, outsource slash offshore. Um, I, well, our focus is mostly virtual technical stuff. Um, obviously, people go to the Philippines because they sound American and they sound like uh, they're easy on the phone, um, whereas in India, the, the accent's a little bit uh, harder for some, some people to hear. Um, however, you know, we, we do a bit of a, a language assessment and we get them to send us a video so we can listen to them and make sure that we can understand them. Um, so, and, and, you know, English was taught by the, the colonials when they were there. So um, it's still quite strong in the country and they do understand, many of them do understand. Um, now, the just go back to a point you were sort of making earlier with um, offshoring or, out, or outsourcing, you know, I think, a lot of times people think, oh, well, we're losing jobs in Australia. But if you think about the the, the population problem that, that Rana was talking about started maybe 20 years ago uh, in that the Australian Bureau of Statistics put out a, a graph saying that the um, whilst the Australian population is growing, um, the working population, the working age population is in stagnation. So we've gone from a, um, you know, we, we've, we, we've grown to like 26 million people, but the, the working population hasn't changed. So we've got more elderly, we've got more youth. So that means there's more people um, to be dealt with by fewer people. So now everyone is, is, is in decline. And I read a stat the other day about uh, just the IT industry alone, 91% of IT uh, providers are struggling to find um, staff. So, with such a constrained environment, if you're not looking elsewhere, and you know, not to say that you know, I think thinking taking jobs away from Australia is a very small-minded kind of approach, because Absolutely. you know we've got clients in Tokyo, we've got clients in uh, you know Malaysia and Hong Kong, so you know we are capturing revenue elsewhere, we're keeping a share, and then we're pushing out a, a share at, at a lower cost, and then we're making some you know other benefits on the way through. Um, and then also at the same time, if we think more globalized anyway, since you know air travel is faster and cheaper, um, you know the the internet has opened up the world uh, no end in the last you know 20, 20 years or longer. And now we're pretty much at the starting point of probably a breaking down of a number of borders. 
So I think about, you know, the, the people side and, and sort of getting back to your original question, um, you know, culture is really important to us. Having good people is really important to us. Having people that know how to do the right job is really important to us. And I think that is what's going to, you know, like you said, solving those business challenges locally is going to make us more innovative, more able to deal with the, the wider world, particularly in the tech space, because it provides leverage. Get me talking about this and I won't shut up. So <laughs> um, I, I really enjoy this topic. Oh man, I love it. And the other thing is I'm, I'm a, um, I'm a globalist. So I have, you know, I travel extensively. Uh, there's nothing more exciting to me than my favorite place in the world. or One of them is Sydney international airport, because when I'm sitting at Sydney, Sydney international airport, you know, I'm in the lounge or I'm sort of waiting there for the, for the plane to take off. I've just got, always got this buzz of excitement because I'm either going back to the Philippines to meet the team or I'm going on another adventure somewhere. And wherever I've traveled in the world, um, I've never found, so I've never failed to meet beautiful people everywhere. Me, um, offshoring and outsourcing, the team we've got in the Philippines and the team that I'm sure that you've got in India, uh, just gorgeous people. We absolutely love them. And they come to the party wanting to do a great job. Now, for us, the way you talked about culture, we've got some very definitive values in our business that we, we really infuse into our team. So our values, number one, be brilliant at the basics, which is something I literally learned from the army. Number two is one team in many places. Now, we've got staff members in uh, Spain, United States, London, obviously heaps in the Philippines, plus Australia. Like Relevate, it's, it's a global business uh, serving global customers now. Um, Work, work, smart, sorry, work smart, not hard. Again, a military thing. Practice what you preach. But last of all, one big key when you're working with offshore teams is allow them a real opportunity to speak up because their voice matters. I know in the Philippines is we want to really break down any kind of, hey, sir, or hey, you're the, how can I, how can I say this? The, the university term is a power distance. Yeah, man, like, we people are nervous. They want to come into these jobs, but we want to break down that yes man mentality between you and your offshore team member, and allow them to be able to talk and share and ask questions and let and and make mistakes. Um, but in your business, you've got two different models. So you almost blend the offshore with the outsource. Is that right? Because Lance IT, I imagine, is classic outsourcing. Like we'll do something for you. Whereas Relevate People is more like, do you want team members in your business? Can, can you go through the two of those? Um, yeah, I, I think, um, you know, like what you were talking about um, also on the on, on the culture side, just quickly. Um, yeah, some of our team members, you know, we involve them in decision-making, planning and all that sort of stuff. And um, we want them to, I, I've heard in conversations while we're there to other people, that um, they're like no one, no one in in India hires like these guys. Um, this is this is an amazing place to work, and I think that that's what we bring into other businesses. So even though yes, we provide the services, we've had people buy um, relevate people um, candidates or roles um, because they also align with the fact that we have provided an excellent culture, an excellent place. I think where people think call centres in India, they think cramped and you know, we experienced it while we were there. That's why we built our own office because um, everything, they got like literally uh, 35 centimetres or, or like 60 centimetres of, of space 
and they could fit a laptop and, and a mouse maybe, and that was it. And so they weren't effective. So now we've got like, you know, 1.2 metres of space, a giant monitor, a screen, more space that are not bumping chairs with the person behind them, um, you know, things like sound deadening, nice tea and coffee area, you know, some plants in there to make it feel nice. And we only make them work eight hours. A lot of times, you know, they've got to work 12 hours or more um, on six or seven days a week. So you know, we say, give us eight hours of your best, best work, nine till five, and then go home. Yeah. It's a remarkably like, God forbid, human experience that you treat humans with respect and dignity and, and mm. not flog them and wonder why they don't do a great job. Mm. Like it's, it's just exactly. crazy. I mean, you imagine somebody who's putting in 11 hour days or six days a week, they're, they're not effective. They're not providing the hundred percent of what they could be providing you. So that's the first sort of chat that we have with our candidates and, and people that we sort of hire and, or looking to hire over there is that, you know, we, you have the exact same working rights as well as leave entitlements, anything else as per any of our Australian staff. So we gave them exact same across the board. It's easier for us to manage from an admin perspective as well. And then it's it's way better for them because they've never experienced that side of things. So, you know, when, when people, I guess, uh, when I hear people complaining about working conditions and everything in Australia, uh, I would like to sort of point them in the direction of like, you know, go to some of these countries and, and experience what these people go through. Uh, and and what they're going through every day within you know their their local markets and and how their their um, you know countries or their particular region is is being uh, run. Absolutely, and and flipping that around is when you have businesses like Relevate or Trusted Process that take this Australian egalitarian way of business into the culture of the teams, like uh, even though I'm one of the founders and you know whatever fancy role I am in our business. Um, I'm no better, no no different to any one of our team members. We're just people hustling, looking after our kids, you know, trying to make trying to make a thing and get through the world. Um, so that yeah. attitude is, we no one in my business is allowed to call me sir ever. You know, like in the army, like I was a farmer before I joined the army, so I, I was never like aligned with that. But, you know, you do it because of the job and that kind of stuff. But always felt a bit funny about it. So never. My name's Pete. Anyone on my team. Call me Pete, say good day. And this egalitarian way of doing the business, where this actually is great for business is if you want a simple little outsource solution, you know, you want to just have a, a you don't want to create a relationship with someone, go to Fiverr, go to Upworks. If you've got a little job, just get them, flick it over and get them to do that. If you want a relationship with somebody who will hopefully spend their career with you, go to a managed agency and and have the manage agency help you recruit, help you understand what you need out of the job, mm-hmm. and make sure that the, that person is looking after is is looked after. Mm-hmm. There is because it is so empowering, not only to the business but to the team if we do it right in the first place. Not only team, like you're you mentioning, uh, people sometimes think role specific, but we've got one uh, client who's plays three roles with us, and that's a business analyst, low-code developer, and Power BI developer. So they basically got a smaller dev team. Um, and then, you know, one of the people we're working with as well, he used to work at Accenture, and um, and he's looking at, uh, you know, partnering with us to be able to make, um, you know, big teams 
happened. So call entire call centers for banks and, and things like that. So, you know, I, I think a lot of times people think small. And if you're a bigger business and you want to stand up a, a call center team to handle level one uh, support requests or, you know, answer questions. And, and you know, you're, you and I are in the same market to be able to build the call scripts, the process, enter this information, ask that question. And so you can wrap it with a layer of technology. Then after you've been, uh, you've, you've Im embedded it and started it, then you can go, right, let's do a development cycle and then use robotic process automation or something in the background just to make it streamlined faster and more efficient on, a, on an ongoing basis. It's interesting you mentioned there um, um, uh, RPA or robotic process automation and with the incoming of you know, AI and everything. You know, where do you see, you know, have you done any thought about how what AI eventually through your platforms is going to do to outsourcing and offshoring? I think um, I think for the under, for the deciding on what people are going to buy, like AI can't do everything. AI can't, you know, cook my dinner. Doesn't know what flavors I like. Um, can't build a relationship with me. It can do things for me that I ask it to do, but that's the extent of it. So you might accelerate some of the coding and the dev work. So you go, I want a form to be able to connect this to that and collect these bits of information. Uh, and then it might give me the code or the script or something. Yeah, that's faster, great. But understanding that that needs to happen to begin with, for, uh, generating, identifying a demand and then um, and then fulfilling that demand, that still requires a person to be able to tell the machine to do it. Yeah. I, you know, there's definitely going to be some roles that are replaced, but I think, again, it's all about elevating or optimizing the performance of the business because there is always, so I always look at things in sort of two ways. There's the things that, I need to, so I'll start again. There's things that I currently do that I need to replace either through automation or delegation, but then there is a whole body of work that I would love to do that I just never have time to do or that aren't even on my development radar yet. And I think a lot of that stuff is where the human offshore outsourcing team members will ultimately you know, always have a role in any business because there's we just keep elevating and elevating or relevating ourselves into, you know, into the next level. Or exception um, management. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And this is where, when I when I always talk about people that are getting new offshore team members, it's like, look at those two different things. There is things that we can replace and lift you up by getting someone else systemization, automation, or delegation to do it. But there's a whole body of stuff that you just wish you could do, but you don't have time to do. So look at that because that's probably the 1% is in customer experience. The things that are probably you used to do when you were little, but now that you're big and busy, you've probably dropped off your priority list. So unpack both of those. Um, it's like so constant development, right? So not just development in, in as in like developing a software, but like development of that, like your own personal knowledge, your your core skill set and everything. So the way I look at it at this stage, like it might change in the future, obviously with AI because it's ever evolving space. And so so is everything else, right? Businesses are ever evolving, AIs and, and machine learning and everything else. Um, but the way I see um, it currently is that it, it enables that particular person, be it you as the business owner or even like, you know, people working in your business um, to be more effective, to be more proactive, to be more um, uh, proficient at their job in a, in a way that, you know, if you like to say for a developer, for ex example, 
a, a developer isn't necessarily going to know exactly how to do everything, right? They still have to go do research. They still have to go, okay, well, I wrote this bit of code, but this is the error that I'm getting at the end. Um, hence, you know, I need to go research it. Like, why am I getting this? So um, <clears throat> in that sense, um, I would say AI or chat GPT or whatever you want to call it, whatever the, the new buzzword is around, um, that these sort of tools provide you with that really quick answer to that question. Uh, you can just copy and paste your code in, okay, what's the problem with this? And then you have an answer straight away. Or if you want to go research something, instead of reading like, you know, 20 blog articles on, on Google, from the Google search, you, you quickly have an answer from, from the AI who's done that work for you. So again, it makes you more efficient instead of just having to replace that person altogether. Yeah, mate, it's a really interesting point there. You talk about getting an answer because what I find, like, number one, I love chat GPT. I love the yeah. fact that, you know, if I'm on the phone with a client and they're like, we're like, let's build a job description for this team member. Bang, I can throw it in there and get a 99% solution immediately. But we've got to be careful because chat GPT gives you an answer to everything you ask, but it is not the right answer all the time. It's not even a true answer all the time. So yep. yes, it gives you an answer, but if you don't ask the right question, then it absolutely might not be the true or correct answer. Well, um, yep. I think it's almost like uh, taking a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy because it's regenerating in, in, uh, um, answers from things like blogs where people have just constantly ripped each other off over and over. Yeah. And and now this is like this uh, very weak pool of information. Yeah, sometimes you can look up you know, academic journals and things like that. But that doesn't mean that, you know, like maybe the more questions it asks, the more it learns, and then the more it gives dumb answers because people are looking for dumb answers. So, you know. That's, that's an interesting point. It's um, probably, it learns how stupid people react and then responds in the, appropriately. <laughs> I just want to um, wrap up the offshore thing by talking about talent. Now, our instant thought is that uh, offshore is a great place for low-level jobs, you know, in terms of, you know, administration and sorry, by low-level, I mean uh, just sort of more of the lower end on the labour price range. Um, but you can get serious talent offshore as well. Um, yeah. You know, talking about developers and in the key, you know, labour constraints that we have in Australia, we're finding some super smart, super intelligent. Some of our team members, even though they're offshore, when they talk, they are the smartest person in the room, and I absolutely turn my ears on and listen. How are you finding, um, you know, where the key talent is uh, in your space at the moment? So pretty much the same. So I guess um, India is really big uh, tech-oriented um, country in general. So like, you know, that's why you get all these uh, bigger um, tech firms, so Google, Microsoft, and and uh, the rest are always hiring um, or opening office offices in India or hiring from India to US and, and whatever else not right so um, from from uh, our own businesses perspective that you know we've we've seen that it's not only if if I go advertise a job for a developer or IT level one level two level three uh, regardless in Australia I would be lucky to have maybe five resumes or six resumes that are really you know perfect uh, of what i'm looking for in the in the uh, criteria that I've, I've posted um if i go do the same thing over there 
just purely by unit economics of being, you know, one billion people over there, um, and that that they they're focused on that particular industry as well. Um, I would have a hundred thousand resumes if I really wanted to. Yeah. Um, you you really have to turn the taps off at some stage to go. Okay, you know, and and not necessarily that because there's a quantity, the quality is lacking. That's particularly not the case. Um, you're going to get that onshore and offshore as well. So, you know, some of these people are going to have, you know, really listed everything on their resumes and they know everything and then you walk into the interview and, and that's really not the case. Um, so that that can happen on, on both sides, sides of that um, sort of wall. I think our, our selling proposition in that space is, um, you know, we supply technical virtual staff, so not your typical admin, because I think a lot of times when people think VA, they think Philippines, like just by nature of, you know, there's been lots of people promoting, you know, get a VA from the Philippines or get a VA um, admin or, or even just the term VA kind of uh, says that they're a generalist, not necessarily a technical specialist. Um, and it's just the marketing that's come out of all offshore companies in the last, you know, five years, 10 years. So our positioning is a technical virtual uh, staff member or a, a technical dedicated resource that might be your uh, internal help desk. That might be your quality or your app testing uh, person. And like I said, with those technical staff that we placed for that other company, they are, you know, quite high end. Um, they're probably double or triple or quadruple the wages of some of the lower skilled uh, people, but they're still, you know, 70% cheaper than hiring in Australia and um, are a part of our team and are a part of our, um, you know, culture and, 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 you know, our everyday process of, you know, we have a coffee chat and we tell a dad joke. That's, that's a daily 15 minute thing that we do every day. <laughs> it's, yeah. Like again, it's about, Ultimately, as business owner, business leader, you should do two things. You should do the things that you are great at, the things that you love, and you should do the things that only you can do. Everything else needs to be delegated sooner or later. And I say sooner or later because it doesn't mean that we're just going to build teams and delegate everything straight away. I often talk about it as how you build your to-don't list. These are the things that when I'm in three years' time, and I'm, I'm now a CEO of a, of a $10 million business instead of a $500,000 business, what are the things that then I am not going to do? Because they are the things that I need to put on my to-don't list. To, to really, you know, to elevate, we've got to delegate. And this is what we want to look at. So keep focusing on those two things. You, because you're the boss or you're the leader, you get to choose the things that you love. You get to keep those for yourself. And it's not for me to tell you what you do every day. That's for you to choose. But the important one is you should only do what only you can do. Everything else, look to delegate it out. Um, in terms of from the talent perspective, one of the ways that we can look at things, we find a lot of uh, particularly you know, draftsmen, um, people to empower the Australian technical team. Sometimes your offshore team could do 80 or 90% of the draft work and then hand it back to the Australian team so they can do the finishing touches and refine it before it gets out to customer. Mm. So sometimes don't necessarily look at delegating whole parts of the activity or the process, but could an offshore team actually empower you by doing a lot of the grunt work, doing a lot of the takeoffs, a lot of the measurements, a lot of the raw work so that you can empower the Australian team to really fine tune and focus on more revenue and relationship creating activity 
rather than the administration underneath. Um, lads, tell us about Relevate Group. Where what's happening? You know, tell us about all the different elements and what's next for the for you two lads. Where do we start? <laughs> I, I actually I look back at our um, we had a, um, a a no pitch deck. We had a, someone who wanted to invest in us, and I put together a, and the this is why you should not invest in us. And um, and I actually went through it, had a bit of a corporate strategy of, you know, we're going to roll out Relevate IT, we're going to do, um, you know, we're going to roll out internationally, we're going to do uh, this, this and this. And then I looked at it as I was onboarding someone probably about two or three months ago, and it's like, crap, we've done 99% of everything on this page. So at the moment, I think we actually need to go back and sit down and do another strategic plan and go, what the hell are we going to do next? Um, I think, you know, one of the methods, obviously, we, we, we're starting to roll out, we've got sales teams on the ground in India, um, we've got, uh, we're building out a sales team here uh, in Australia, um, and we're going to go to more of like that global consulting. Personally, because I love it all, uh, we're going to be looking at uh, doing an ERP at some point in the not too distant future. Uh, we've got, you know, multinational companies re registered, so it's um, it's getting a bit of admin and a bit of back end. So I think the next little bit is to sort of, you know, one foot on the ground, the military, everybody uh, rolls their eyes every time I use the terminology. But, um, yeah, one foot on the ground, we're going to start to establish our position and then we'll look to make some more moves. But I think in terms of where we're going to head, um, we, we, I would definitely say, you know, acquisition is a growth method. Um, organic growth is is another sort of the, the, the standard growth method that everyone tries to, to go. And then, of course, you know, building great partnerships with uh, uh, great people. So I think that's pretty much in the short term where we're at. But um, yeah, in terms of the brands that we've got, so there's the they're all complementary in the combined arms effect. So we can might lead in with some consulting and go, this is what you need to do uh, to get where you are. By the way, we've got web hosting to do your 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 infrastructure. We've got the IT provider to do the hardware. But the things that you have to sit on and then the consulting bits, the software layer. And, you know, I think of like business hierarchy of needs. You've got that. Everyone has has the foundational layer. Then there's all the bits and pieces to run it. But the, the capstone is that sort of like CRM and customer relationship piece. So mm -hmm. that's where I think. Um, but uh, again, we've not had our next planning session <laughs> so much. So Rana might have a different idea, but I, I'm, I'm pretty sure even if we do, it's we're not thinking that far differently. One of the things I think is so complimentary about the way we both think about business is, and again, coming back to the um, military mindset, is this essence of control. Uh, and it's how as, how as business owners and business leaders do we maintain control of what's going on? And particularly you know, when we've got global teams and there's people all around the world and customers all around the world. Uh, and I think having this uh, the CRM or the digital structure is such an empowering part of know how you manage your offshore teams as well or whatever whether it be crm or you know digital platforms such as monday or asana so you're doing doing all your tracking but for me is control equals consistency plus visibility in the military consistency was all about our standard operating procedures our just the way to do things and consistency to me is how do we capture excellence and repeat it the visibility side of it is what should be driven through our tech stack. Now, no matter what platform that you're using, how is your tech stack empowering the leadership team to have visibility on what different parts 
you know, what's happening in different parts of the business, whether it be marketing, sales, or your operations. Um, my last thought is, again, this, I'll go back to that term that you used. Um, oh, what was it? Trust by proxy. And the mm. fact that the two of you have been able to basically have a, an inkling of a connection, start a business without seeing each other for the next year or two. But how do you two as a team really have taken that trust by proxy and empowered it to the next level? Because without Matt Mosley on my team, I wouldn't function or be successful in any way. How do you two manage the the you know the duo which is Avon and Rana? Um, I think uh, we've we've gone through stages. So obviously um, our thinking patterns and and our our normal way of dealing with a be it a problem, be it a uh, any any sort of situation have been pretty similar from day one. Um, we've uh, so, but mainly it's, it's from the numerous chats that we've had. So uh, where, you know, you, you go, it's, it's like, I think one of those, uh, you know, those Spider-Man memes where he's like pointing at, at, at himself and there's like, there's, there's two of them. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like, there's been a lot of those situations where, you know, you're like, I'm thinking in my brain and then he says, or like he's thinking in, in his brain and I say it um and and that's how it really kicked off and then that's where you know like sometimes we'll be on at like you know 10 11 o'clock at night um just having random chats of what we're going to do next right just purely because we didn't get the time to do it during the daytime because we were too busy doing something else or like you know family and kids and all that stuff so um it's it it, it just started off from that chain reaction down the path of you know, we kept on expanding, having more people uh, uh, coming on board and then having those, you know, those delegations. So when we started, obviously, it was just me and him. Uh, and then from there, we've 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 started to now, you know, really having really good people come on board and, and delegating those those decisions and those um, sort of um, power matrix down to like similar to, to the army, right, where you know, you, you have the, the command and control and then you, you delegate parts of that mission to to the, the subunit commanders or, or, you know, whatever the case might be in, that you have in your combat team. And then you you sort of sit back and you, you consume it all. And once you had the reporting back from your, in this case, CRM, and, and then from there you can, you'd really like, you know, put your, put your pawns down where you want to. Um, and then that's that's that what really influences your decision making of you know what worked, what didn't. How can we improve this? Yeah, I love it. I, hey, I think, sorry, I think there's probably two elements to it. So one is um, you got to have that trust. Um, you know, like we've had some high highs and some low lows, uh, but I always know that you know we've got each other's sort of best interests in mind. And then the other bit is that. Um, you know, being really so aligned in, in like the thinking and all that sort of stuff, you know that, you know, if you can't access the other person or, if, you know, a decision, a snap decision's got to be made, that it's made with the, the same same or similar intent because you go, oh, they would have done the same thing anyway. Or you go, these were the, this, this was the information I was presented with that could have gone this way or that way. And uh, and I made this decision. It may not have been the right one, but you know that, you know, they've got the right intent behind all of that. And so you don't need to go and worry, oh, are they going to rip me off? Are they going to do this? Are they going to try and, you know, make life better for themselves and screw everybody else? It's just that doesn't exist. There's not even any, like, 
inkling of thought or risk or, or any of that sort of stuff. That's pretty powerful. Um, I know I've been trying to wrap this thing up, but I've got, I want to just go down one last rabbit hole. And yeah. that is um, your use of YouTube now as part yeah. of the way that you short share your story. Can you tell us about why YouTube and how you, you know, how you're creating your channel and, and the kind of information, because this would be a great way for people to connect you with you and follow what you're doing. Yeah, so, um, you know, initially I had a whole bunch of, uh, you know, this is digital transformation and this is, you know, I do some like screen share demos and then, you know, um, you know, podcasts, much like this. And one of the things that uh, I want to be able to do is leverage my time. You know, we're talking about the to-don't lists and I would my recommendation for anyone doing that, whether you do it, you know, internally or publicly, is... Um, just start recording videos because the moment you have to hand something over um, and, and I always think, well, what can I do that can demonstrate how to do X, but then also train my team at the same time or, um, and, and it's just about creating visibility. I've had people come up to me and say, Hey, um, I see that you did a video on this. I need that exact thing. Can you do it for me? I don't have time. Or, um, you know, one of the things that we've been trying to do to grow our, our visibility. So you've got now, um, there's the YouTube like base videos and and it can take a long time. It takes a fair bit of effort, uh, but we had fairly consistent growth on um, putting YouTube shorts out. And all I do in that is just tell a dad joke because like I said before, is we have our 15 minute chat every day. And then at the end, we tell a dad joke. It's our personality of our brand. Um, and then that helps attract, you know, a different market, new eyeballs, um, it helps build a relationship and, and it exposes the real us a little bit. It's not all like, uh, you know, suits and spreadsheets where, you know, we're, we're a pretty casual bunch, uh, not, not ashamed of it. Uh, we're more about the meat and the sandwich than, you know, you know, or any kind of like fluff and fakery. So I think that, uh, you know, our personality shows through that we attract an audience who are interested in what we're doing. And, you know, that helps leverage because now I don't have to have 10,000 conversations. I can share a video link. Uh, seeing is better than show, don't tell. And then also through LinkedIn, you know, when I want to connect with people, uh, one of the things I do is go, hey, here's a, here's a playlist for you that might be useful to you. And that helps them to see the other things that we're, that we're doing, provide some value, also boosts our watch hours, which helps promote, uh, get further out. So it's just that kind of like snowball effect. Yeah, I'd encourage anyone else to do it. So like this pod that we're filming now, like three of us just having a chat, um, what will happen after this is my PA will flick it to our podcast manager. Our podcast manager will get the get the video edited and have it ready for release, release across all the different platforms. It'll go across to our video editor and our copywriter who will watch it again. And um, hopefully we've got maybe one or two insightful things that they'll pluck out of it. Then they'll make the shorts out of it. Then they'll make the LinkedIn tiles and that. So it's quite a simple process uh, to actually be able to create this content and get it out. And for example, two things is a lot of the time, you know, when I go to you know public events or I do a bit of speaking here, people are like, oh, I always watch your stuff. And I'm like, like, really? You're, you're one of my three listeners out there. Um, but also what it does is it provides a level of, oh, what's the right term? It provides a level of authority because I met with a client this morning and he goes, I went and researched who you are and what you do and, and watched some of your stuff over the weekend. Yeah. And when, when we, and that was in a discovery call. It was, a, it was, we had a quick chat on the phone and said, look, let's lock in a chat next week. He'd already gone and done all his research because it's just us sharing our stuff. 
So again, digital transformation, feeding this stuff through your CRM so you can see what, what works and what doesn't. Um, lads, we could go, oh man, I could just seriously keep talking and talking and we'll do so um, you know, over lunch, beers, coffee, whenever we can. But um, Avon Collis and Shannon Rana, lads, I really appreciate you sharing some time today. No worries. Thank you for having us. Brilliant. Um, Thank you. Thanks. So we'll, we're going to put in the show notes all the ways that you can connect with Relevate, uh, where you can connect with the lads through LinkedIn and um, you know through all the normal channels. Uh, my name's Pete Liston. Another episode of the Military Mindset for Business podcast. Thanks, everyone, and out.